Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's episode is part of our Art of Living Artist interview series. Our guest today is Smithsonian Associate Geraldine Brooks. Geraldine Brooks will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, and you can find out more details on our website and at the Smithsonian Associates website, all of which will be in our show notes today. The true story of the remarkable 19th century racehorse Lexington, who became America's greatest stud sire, provides the framework for Horse, the newest novel from Pulitzer Prize-winning author Geraldine Brooks. Our guest today, author Geraldine Brooks, braids three time periods in the narrative, 1850s Kentucky, where an enslaved groom named Jarrett and the Bay Foal forge a bond of understanding that carries Lexington to record-setting victories across the South. Then, New York City, in the 1950s, where a gallery owner becomes obsessed with the 19th century equestrian oil painting of a mysterious province. And the Smithsonian is tied in here, too, in 2019, where a scientist named Jess from Australia and a Nigerian art historian find themselves unexpectedly connected through their shared interest in the horse, one studying the stallion's bones for clues to his power and endurance, and the other using the portrait to uncover the lost history of the unsung black horsemen who were critical to his racing success. Let's listen as Geraldine Brooks reads a section about Jess and a passage from her new book, Horse. Jess, Smithsonian Museum Support Center, Maryland, 2019. Jess was seven when she dug up the dog. He'd been dead a year. She and her mom had buried him with ceremony under the flowering red gum in the backyard. And they'd both cried. Her mother wanted to cry again when Jess requested large Tupperware containers for the bones she'd just exhumed. Generally, Jess's mother was the kind of parent who would let her daughter set the house on fire if she thought it could teach something about carbon and oxygen. But she was stricken with a stab of anxiety. Was digging up a beloved pet and macerating its corpse a sign that your child had psychopathic tendencies? Jess tried her best to explain that she dug up Milo because she loved him, and that's why she had to see what his skeleton looked like. Beautiful, as she knew it would be. The swoop of the ribcage, the scoop of the eye sockets. Jess loved the interior architecture of living things. Ribs, the protective embrace of them. How they hold delicate organs in a lifelong hug. Eye sockets. No artisan had ever made a more elegant container for a precious thing. Milo's eyes had been the color of smoky quartz. When Jess touched a finger to the declivities on either side of his delicate skull, she could see those eyes again. The kind gaze of her earliest friend, avid for the next game. That, of course, was Geraldine Brooks reading from her new book, Horse. 
In our conversation, Pulitzer Prize-winning Geraldine Brooks offers fascinating insights into a novel that explores art and science, the bond between people and animals, and the continuing story of race and injustice. I will tell you, Horse is wonderful. So please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates, author interview series on radio and podcast, Smithsonian Associate, Geraldine Brooks. Geraldine Brooks, author of the new book, Horse, our guest today. Welcome to the program. Congratulations on the book. It's wonderful to be with you. It is wonderful to be with you, too. Again, congratulations on the book. Uh, Horse is the name of the book. Geraldine Brooks, the author, is our guest today. I think our audience is just going to love this. So many in the Smithsonian will relate to this because the story relates so well to the Smithsonian. How did you first connect this story with the Smithsonian? Well, I got the idea from Harold Kloster, who at the time was uh, the director of Smithsonian's Affiliated Museums. And he was visiting Plymouth Plantation, where I happened to be invited for lunch. And he was regaling the table with the story of how he just delivered the skeleton of a famous 19th century racehorse uh, from the museum in Washington to the International Museum of the Horse in Lexington, Kentucky. And as he got up to the, um, the racing career of the horse was all fascinating and lots of fascinating details. But when he got to what happened to the horse in the Civil War, my lunch sat uneaten, and I just had a, a premonition that I'd found my next novel. Yes, you have. Absolutely. And I love the title of the book, too. It's simple. It's just horse. Why? That's right, because for a time, that was what the skeleton was at the Smithsonian. At first, uh, the horse was on exhibit because he was a famous particular horse that people were passionately interested in. But over time, as the Smithsonian's mission changed from more of a cabinet of curiosities to a scientific research institution, people were interested in the skeleton as an example of Equus Cabalus. So he was there as horse next to rabbit, elk, mouse. Right. Almost an indignity to this wonderful horse, Lexington, of course, and the name of the great stud sire in the book Horse by Geraldine Brooks. What was it about Lexington's incredible life that intrigued you? I think it was, and I don't want to give away too much of the story, but the dramatic twists and turns of his life, uh, the outstanding speed and courage of the horse, and then the setbacks that had to be overcome. And then, of course, you know, the drama of horses in the Civil War and uh, and the series of um, I guess narrow escapes that the horse had. And I, I, I can tell you straight up that as an animal lover, I would not have been able to engage with this material if it hadn't worked out all right for the horse. So because the horse had essentially a happy ending, it was a really good story for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I love these happy endings too, especially when they involve animals and so many of these animals did not have happy endings during this time period. Horse racing was just so popular both in the North and the South, despite what happened to some of the animals. Again, this is a uh, very upbeat story and a very, very much a happy ending. Why do you think horse racing was so popular in the North and the South in America during that period? Well, 
Yeah, I was astonished. It, it was an entirely different style of racing, too. I should say it was uh, it, it, the 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 horse had to be able to race for four miles, often as many as three times in the one day. So they were heat races, and they were often match races, grudge matches, where one wealthy horse breeder would test the mettle of his best horse against another one. And there were regional tensions that mirrored the growing tensions between North and South. But it was a pastime that absolutely obsessed the nation. And you have to put yourself back in time and realize what an agrarian nation this still was. So most people had horses or they knew someone who had horses. And if you had a horse, well, there was a chance your horse might be a fast horse. And, and um, that's where quarter horse racing came from. The, the alternative to the, to the big horse races was uh, the quarter mile race on the main street past the shops, you know, <laughs> and people would race their workhorses there. But everybody dreamed of, of having a race horse and there was immense wealth and prestige that came with it. And it was interesting because Millard Fillmore, president of the United States, President Millard Fillmore plays a role in the book because his town, uh, the village of Aurora, had those same horse races throughout the town, right there on Main well, Street. Mo- most towns did. Most towns did at that time, you know, and it was just, it was something, it was like the NFL if we all played football. <laughs> right, exactly. And we, we all should be playing football. <laughs> we, of course, are with Geraldine Brooks, author of the new book, Horse. Geraldine Brooks will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates. Coming up here, please check our website, notoldbetter.com, and check the Smithsonian Associates website for more details on Geraldine Brooks and her wonderful new book, Horse. You know, Ms. Brooks, what I enjoyed so much was the research, the depth, the understanding, the science components of the book, um, the all of the information about Smithsonian, all of their work about disarticulation, the subject of racehorses. How did you conduct the research on this subject? Because it was really, it's just a fascinating read and just a very detailed research. Well, I do love doing the research and that, I guess, is my former career as a newspaper reporter, I mm-hmm, yes. love an excuse to get up in somebody else's business. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in this case, there's a contemporary story that takes place at the Smithsonian. So it was an absolute pleasure for me to have access to the Museum Support Center, which is, uh, as you probably know, a, a, an absolute treasure house of science and art and all kinds of brilliant research going on there. So I got to uh, to look over the shoulders of the scientists there quite a bit, and that was wonderful. Uh, and then the historical research, uh, I, I realized very quickly that I wasn't just researching a racehorse here uh, because the story quickly becomes the story of race in America because the skills of the black horsemen many of whom were enslaved or formerly enslaved, uh, built the thoroughbred racing industry in this country. And they were trainers, they were jockeys, they were grooms, and they kept and trained and raced these horses. And their skills were very much uh, appreciated. Um, you, you can tell in the correspondence that goes between the horse owners how much they relied on the plundered labor 
of these very talented men. They all, of course, were men. Um, and so I had to research the history of the black horseman uh, as well as the history of the horse. And there are often, uh, you know, sadly, uh, people who didn't get a chance to become literate. You you can't often find them speaking in their own uh, words. So you have to make do with the sources that you have and try and piece it together and then use some imaginative empathy to fill in the blanks. Um, but that was a huge part of the re- research as well. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We, of course, are back with author Geraldine Brooks. Geraldine Brooks is author of the wonderful, I'm just going to say this again, Geraldine Brooks, the wonderful new book, Horse. Geraldine Brooks is our guest today. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning author, known for her research, known for her character development. Some of these characters, Geraldine Brooks, are just wonderful. The character of Jarrett is a composite. His skills are very unique as a horseman. He was an enslaved person. What were some of your resources here? Because I, I just found him to be one of the, the um, most interesting uh, of characters that I've, I've read of yours. Ja- yeah, Jared existed. Unfortunately, I can't find out details of his life. Um, but he did exist. He was Lexington's groom. Um, and, uh, probably much more than that, but I, I based some details of his life on, on two other black horsemen that were very significant in, uh, Lexington's care. And, um, that was Ansel Williams, who was a most remarkable trainer. And, uh, uh, yeah, so, so there are real, real lives, uh, go to make up the character of Jarrett about whom, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Sadly, uh, perhaps. But I did find in my research for our interview today, I did find a picture of Lexington on Wikipedia with a black groomsman. And um, certainly in my own mind, I I created this version of Jarrett. I wonder if you think that could that possibly be Jared well, or maybe your version of Jared there? It could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I I imagine Jared as a younger man. Uh, that gentleman is an older gentleman. But, you know, it, it is a remarkable picture because you can tell there's a great connection between the man and the horse, even in that one. And it is the sole photographic image. There are many, many oil portraits of Lexington because photography was just coming into its own at the end of the horse's life. But it's extraordinary that the, 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 the placidity of the horse in that picture. And as somebody who spends a lot of time with horses, stallions generally not 
that way. And, uh, and it's the connection between the man and the horse, I think, that is making the horse stand so calmly for the photograph. So from, so from photographs to art, uh, let's just make a little bit of a transition because the art world plays a real role here. The art is used more as a sell sheet during those time periods, as you, as you say in the book, more ads than art. But you've really done a great job of weaving the art into the story, and, and it was a bright spot for me. I really enjoyed that part of uh, your your story here. I, I just learned so much. How were these paintings used by Smithsonian text to do? You know, the the technicians, how, the Smithsonian technicians. How how was the uh, the, uh, that the world of those paintings used to do their work because there was some DNA, there was flecks of paint, there was bones. I don't want you to give away too much of the story here. Of course, I want to really encourage our uh, audience to go and buy this book, but it's such a fascinating part of it. This was how people advertised their stud horses uh, to other uh, owners who might want to breed their mare. Uh, so you needed a very accurate painting and there were just one or two itinerant artists who traveled around painting the remarkable horses of the day and as artworks these are really interesting paintings but as sociology they're also interesting because they often include portraits of the black horsemen uh and so um there's a beautiful portrait of lexington in the smithsonian collection and it came to the smithsonian in a very unexpected way in a bequest from Martha Jackson, who was an avant-garde gallerist in New York City in the immediate post-World War II period, which, of course, was the beginning of the rise of abstract expressionism and op art and all kinds of edgy contemporary art movements. And she was a great champion of those contemporary artists. And so in her bequest to the Smithsonian, there is Every other painting in the bequest is an edgy piece of contemporary art of the time. And then there's just this one 19th century realist horse portrait of Lexington. Why? It's a mystery. So my novelist's imagination went to work on that, about why a woman like that who is so devoted to contemporary art would have this one painting that wasn't. Yes. Uh-huh. Thank you for sharing that. And, and again, a fascinating part of the story. And and that character, uh, of course, a, a woman, a female. There weren't many women in this post-World War II New York City art world. It was very dominant. The industry was very dominated by men. Uh, it was an important part of the story, but another character kind of on the fringe here. That's right. And she was in real life great friends with Lee Krasner, who was the painter married to Jackson Pollock. So she was very deep into Pollock's circle. And it's funny, you know, Mark Twain said something like um, fiction is is required to stick to possibilities. Mm-hmm. Truth isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and And everything in this book that seems the most implausible is actually the true thing. And it is true that Martha Jackson traded her convertible sports car to Jackson Pollock for two paintings and that that was the car that Pollock died in. Yes, amazing. Well, thank you, Ms. Brooks, for all of this. I could talk to you all day about this book, but I I just have a couple more questions and uh, thanks so much for your generosity and your time today. The language in the book is so amazing. The language of the characters, so rich, so meaningful. 
there was this very much this Kentucky 1853-ish vibe, which made this world come alive in the books. Words like um, sure is high, uh, you know, um, Jarrett says that. I think he says sure is high come up. By the by, uh, the word shakedown, spavined was a word I had not heard in a long time. Chinwagger, blackleg. Mankey, all of these great words. Uh, the research that you did was just uh, amazing. We've talked about it a little bit. But where did some of these words come from? Where did you find them come up to be able to weave them into the story in such a realistic way? This is really important to me. Uh, again, to quote Mark Twain, the difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. <laughs> so, and particularly in historical fiction, you do not want to drag your reader out of the period. And I think that nothing does that faster for me than a word that is out of its right time. So I'm always trying to find the vocabulary of the period. And one way you do that is by reading lots of letters and journals from the time and place that you're writing about. And it's like a bit of a treasure hunt. You find something and then, you know, you note it down and and one of your characters might just need exactly that expression and you've got it. So I'm always on the hunt for that. And um, uh, yeah, so that, that is something crucial to me. I also have a wonderful resource on hand, which is the Oxford Historical Thesaurus of the English Language. And you can, you can uh, take any word in contemporary use and then go back in time, dig down through the centuries and see what word was in use for that thing in the past. And I'd be lost without that. Well, thank you so much, Geraldine Brooks. Final question for you, and we so appreciate your time. The bond between people and animals is so sweet and so meaningful and touching. You must be an animal lover. I, I certainly am. That's uh, one of the appeals to this book. Um, I guess my question for you, where do the animal insights come from? And uh, maybe first off, have you have you ridden today yet? No, I haven't ridden today. <laughs> You know, it's it's a pretty time-consuming bit of business by the time you get the horse brushed and tacked up and go out for the ride and then get them untacked and yes, I'll bet <laughs> and brushed again. So I knew I was going to be meeting with you, so I didn't want to come in all barn dusty. But um, uh, you know, honestly, I don't really even care if I get on the horse. I just like being with animals, and so oftentimes just hanging out and spending unstructured, undemanding time with horses is is my greatest pleasure. And my dog is sitting right here. Um, she's not very encouraging when I'm talking because she always falls asleep and snores loudly. And I think, am I boring you? <laughs> well, good. Well, and your dog's been so well behaved and, and uh, dogs are always welcome here on the show. Clancy in the book, the dog uh, played such an important role. What, what's your dog's name? This dog, my current dog is named Bear. She was named by my son. Yeah. Oh, Bear. That's a nice name. And uh, so nice to have your son name the dog with you. Well, Geraldine Brooks, our guest today, author of the wonderful new book, Horse. Geraldine Brooks will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program coming up. Please check our website, notoldbetter.com, or the Smithsonian Associates website for more details. You'll find all of that in our show notes. Thanks so much, Geraldine Brooks, for your generous time. 
I, of course, will be seeing you at the Smithsonian Associates presentation. I will wave from afar. I promise I won't be a pest. But thanks again for all of your time today. And have a great rest of your day, Geraldine Brooks. You too. And this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. My thanks to Geraldine Brooks for her generous time and reading from her new book, Horse. Geraldine Brooks will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, and you can find out more details on our website and at the Smithsonian Associates website in our show notes today. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And my thanks to you, my wonderful audience here on the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates author interview series on radio and podcast. Of course, be well, be safe. And let's eliminate assault rifles, keeping our grandchildren and our children safe everywhere, but especially in school. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.